Well, welcome to Fountain Springs Church, especially if this is your first time. If it's your first time, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If you ever go to a first place for the first time, we often forget what it's like to go into a place where you, maybe you've never been there. You don't know if the people are, are normal or crazy, and you don't know what it's going to be like and when it's going to end. So let me just let me help you. For those of you who are afraid of sermons, uh, this will end. It will come to a conclusion. Uh, but if you're brand new, I just hope that you felt welcome. Uh, we were, uh, were very open about our agenda. So if, here, here it is. It's, it's very simple. We want to show you who Jesus is. And so if we think if you know who Jesus is, that is the most pivotal relationship you could ever launch into. And so uh, stay around for a while. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. But if you're brand new, you may not know this about us. We are not just one church in one location. In fact, we have another location. Every Sunday morning they meet. It's the fellows at RCMU, Rapid City Minimum Unit. So I thought we should give it up for the fellows at RCMU. Tell them we're glad you're here. Yeah. And we're launching an east location soon for those of you who live on the east side or you just like to travel differently or whatever it is. Hopefully the first weekend after Easter we'll be able to launch the east location. I'll talk more about that. We opened up this series about filters because we're talking about how you and I see the world. The, the filters that you and I apply to how we see life in general. And of course, obviously, that led us to a conversation about jackalopes. You see the... Okay, if you, if you missed last weekend, we, we talked about jackalopes. If you've been in South Dakota for more than 30 seconds, you've seen a jackalope, not because they're real, Okay, and I'm so sorry to break some of your hearts. Uh, but if you don't know what a jackalope is, it's the combination of a precious little bunny rabbit. Uh, and somebody put some antlers on it, and it formed what's called the jackalope. Uh, now, if you've ever been to a wall drug, I don't know if anyone's ever been to wall drug, there's a jackalope you can sit on and take your picture with. And if you, uh, by chance, were to ever go to wall drug and sit on that jackalope and take your picture, it, there's, a, there's a likelihood that I'll show it during a sermon, potentially, like right now. So don't, don't just be careful about the pictures that you send. I'm just telling you in warning right now. Uh, but if you've ever been to Wall Drug, you know that about this, that, that this thing, I, I, I would say, I don't know if this is actually in the books, but it's, it's the unofficial South Dakota state animal. Um, but jackalopes are this. Let me, let, me, let me help you understand. Jackalope is, is two real animals. You got that? Two, two real ones are legitimate Animals combined to make one that's not true. So it's too real making a fake. Just that's important because here's the deal. Even though that's fun and we talk about that in South Dakota, especially South Dakota, you and I are guilty of doing that with other parts of our life. Meaning you and I will take, well, this is right and this is right. And we combine the two and we make something that's actually not accurate. We, we create this filter of how we see everything in life, and it, it's wrong. It, it's not accurate. And, and so, of course, we're in church. If you, if you didn't know, we're in church. And so well, I wanted to tell you, just show you an example. This is example time for those of you like examples. Let's say that you see the world as a Christian, where you would say, you know what, David? I'm a Christian. I, I would write that down. I would tell that to someone. I live by that. I am a Christian. Then, then your filter, the way you view the world, is very specific. So let's look at the truth of a, of a Christian according to what the Bible tells us. Uh, you would believe as a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I'm not saying you believe this, but if you are a Christian, you believe that all of life 
is God-centered. You believe that all of this, what God made, it's centered around God, meaning God created this. When the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, you're like, yes, I totally believe that. God created everything. In fact, he even walked that out and made incredible things and then creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve literally live in paradise, the Garden of Eden. And so they're living, everything's perfect. Now God did something that, that well, we've experienced this, where he says, hey, don't, don't, you can do a lot of stuff, just don't do this one thing. And they're like, okay, we'll do that one thing. And, and they weren't supposed to eat from the tree of, of incredible good knowledge and truth. And, and so here's the deal. Listen, listen, I want you to see this. He created everything, and we, not, not God. I'm just going to pause there for a second. God did not create sin. Now, now I, I, I offended some people last week, and so I think it's, well, it's pertinent that I offend people this week. It just makes perfect sense to me. So he created Adam and Eve and his perfect and everything. They, they, they weren't supposed to eat. They introduced sin, and that, this is when cats were created at this portion. It was, it was a delayed <laughs> creation time. And mosquitoes, too. I'm pretty confident. I'm not being serious for, for those of you who are brand new. But this is when sin was introduced. God said, don't eat from that tree, and they did, and rebelled against God. So what that happens is you got God who's perfect, God who's absolutely perfect. He's never done anything wrong, never, never anything like that. Then you got Adam and Eve who introduced sin into their lives and into the world, so they are not perfect. They can't be with God. So the only resolution to this, if we're ever going to be in a relationship with God, have access to God, is we need a Savior. And out of pure love, God gave us a Savior, His one and only Son, Jesus. As a Christian, if you're a Christian, you believe this Savior was Jesus who came to this earth and died and rose from the dead, and in doing so gave you and I salvation, unearned. So for those of you who grew up maybe in a, call it a legalistic kind of a setting where how everything you did determined if God liked you or not, don't raise your hands, just some of us grew up in those environments. You do not have to earn the love of God. You can't earn it. He just gives it to us. And so if you have concluded as a Christian that you believe this, this is the truth the Bible teaches. God created everything. Sin was introduced. We got a Savior, Jesus, who gives us salvation. Salvation from the dead of our sin, meaning heaven is actually our home. In other words, to make that very simple, as a Christian, you believe you're going to spend more time in heaven than you do on earth. You think eternally speaking. Heaven, and so if heaven is home, earth is just a camping experience. Yeah, if you like camping. It's just temporary, which meaning God guides your answers. And this is just a Christian. If you, this is your view of the world. You wake up, you live your day, you make decisions, you think thoughts, you, you engage people, you talk, you work, you go to school, and your, your view of everything is based on this truth. This is true. You see the world this way. Let me show you a complete opposite view that some people have. You would say, there's people who say, there is no God. Just literally, there's no God. So they've concluded there's no God. So you've got to conclude, how, well, then how did all this happen? Well, big bang, evolution. But if, if that's what created, that means there's no creator to rebel against, meaning there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no need for a savior, no need for salvation. There's definitely no heaven or hell then. Earth is home and feelings guide your answers. Now, that's just a, that's a complete opposite view. 
So when I, some of us are like, well, I'm not there, David. I, I, that's, not, that's not my thing. And, and most of us would be like, well, I really like this. I agree with this. I know this church stands on this. But a lot of us reside in the middle in this stage of confusion. Let me explain this. You believe God created things and he's real, but you go over here and be like, but you don't need a savior. That's what you've concluded. You think that maybe a savior was made by religion to control you. But then you come back and you're like, but this heaven thing, that sounds pretty sweet. I like that. But then you hop over here and be like, but I don't think God made a hell. That sounds so mean and horrible. Why would God ever do such a thing? So I don't believe in hell. And then you come back here. So I'm going to kind of rely on God for my answers unless I, well, don't like his answers. And then I'm going to resort to my feelings. And many of us reside in the middle and create this confusing jackalope kind of Christianity. A combination of a truth and a truth. And the danger, church, is if you build your life on that. The danger is, is if you start teaching people that, showing people that, something that's not even true. And I would conclude that the filters that we use to see life determine the way that we live life. So how you and I have been living and the choices we're making, I would argue, are absolutely critical. How you and I actually see life like our perspective. And boy, are there a few opinions out there, would you just say, about life in general? Just watch a debate or two about the presidents, and you'll see like, oh, there's, there's a few different perspectives on what's going on. We all have different opinions and things like that, but you need to know that there are absolute truths. There are things that you can build your life upon, ways that you can say, okay, David, I believe God exists, that he sent a Savior, because I've got sin. I need help how to live life. I want to make sure that I'm a Christian that I want to be actually internally. And so someone's like, oh, I know how to be a Christian. Well, you, you, you clean up a little bit, dress a little bit differently. Don't smoke. Definitely don't cuss in front of the pastor. And, and you go to church quite often, this and that. You, we begin to create this kind of mixture of what a Christian is. So what if, what if, what if, what if you and I have a wrong view of Christianity? What if you and I, because we grew up in different traditions and settings, and, and we've heard little things, and we've picked different things, what if we've compiled our own fake Christianity? I'd say it's a real danger. So here's what we're doing as a church, so that we don't have to sit there and go, like, I wonder what the real one is. I wonder what it is like to be a Christian. Jesus gave us a story to help us. Jesus literally tells a story that you and I extract from incredible filters, way to actually live life. It's found in Luke 15. Luke 15 unfolds such an incredible story. Jesus told the story, if you want to know the author. He literally was, was telling people out loud the story. It starts off this way. There's a son that goes to a dad and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. When Jesus tells a story, you listen to every detail. So he's like, okay, okay, I want my inheritance, dad. Dad's not dead. Dad's not sick. It's kind of rude, very shameful. But he goes to dad and says, I want my inheritance. Dad says, okay, I'll give it to you. Gives him his inheritance. And just like some of you would expect, a good story would go this way. They create some tension. The son takes the inheritance, leaves home, abandons everybody. And not only does that, but he wastes all of it, according to the story, on wild living. Let your imaginations run. Literally wastes all of it. Finds himself homeless, destitute, so hungry that he's eyeing the food being eaten by pigs, going, that looks tasty. Jesus is drawing a picture about how destitute this son is. Now, some of you are like, well, he deserves that, right? I mean, if we're going to track the story, you'd say, well, he, he got his inheritance early. He didn't deserve that. And then he went and wasted it. He deserves what he gets. Some of us wouldn't react that way. We'd be like, well, he needs a little bit of mercy, a little bit of help. 
The son comes to the point that he's at rock bottom. You may not identify with being homeless, but you do identify with rock bottom. Almost all of us do. We understand that low point. That's where the son is. Son's at a low point. The only option he thinks that he can conclude with is to go back home and to ask for a favor. Here's the favor he's going to ask his dad. Dad, I, I won't be father, son. We won't have that relationship anymore. I'll work for you for the rest of my life. I'll be your servant. I won't call you family. You don't call me family. We won't do that. But, but if you'll let me sleep somewhere on, on the land, I'll serve. I'll be your servant for the rest of your life. That's it. That's how this relationship works. So the son picks himself up, leaves eyeing what the pigs are eating, and goes home hoping that his dad will give him a job. That's it. That's where we pick the story up, Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Now let's just stop there for a second. Let me just press into your own life. I don't know why you came to church today, but I got a question for you. The people that live in ways that you don't agree with, the people that do stupid things, when you see them and engage them, are you filled with compassion or contempt first? That's when the Bible gets personal. How about this? Because some of you are going to be like, I don't understand. How about this? Let's say mm, you were to watch a presidential debate. Are you filled with compassion? I'll keep reading. Uh, <clears throat> but while he was a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him. If you're getting new to this and you're like, I'm not sure about church or Christianity, you need to know the heart of this church. I'll tell you right now. The heart of this church is that no matter what anyone believes or how they live life or how they behave, we want God to help us be filled with compassion for people, anyone and everyone. That's why we always say anyone and everyone is welcome. But not only that, not to leave it as an emotion. Every one of us would agree that compassion is an emotion. But watch what the dad does. Filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, my favorite part. Because he takes this emotion, a legitimate, powerful, profound emotion, and he transfers it makes it into an action. Every one of us would say this, right? That actions speak louder than words. We all would be like, yes, we need churches that do that, right? This is profound. He ran to his son. He didn't just be like, yeah, I felt sad for him. You know, he's hungry. Needed some clothes. No, he's so welling up with compassion and love for this kid that is his kid. He runs to him. Threw his arms around him and kissed them. I used this portion last week to help us understand. You want to know a filter to, to apply to life, how to see life? Well, one is unconditional love. Anyone that you ever encounter, from the person that, that checks your food out through the grocery store, and you're talking to them, or maybe you don't even talk to them, that person matters. The person that changes your tires, the person that you go to school with, the person that you work with, and yes, the people you live with too. Uh, all the people that you're related to and that you're not related to, the people that you're around or that you're not even around, the people that you don't even know about, the people across the globe, everyone that you've ever met and have never met, you need to understand that they matter to God and they ought to matter to you. If you call yourself a Christian, you should have compassion welling up for everyone. Unconditional love, one of the most popular sermons I ever preach. I preach it every year at least once. Everyone's like, yes, and then we move on. <laughs> and this is profound because the, the father says, I love you. In other words, hugging him and embracing him kissing him and saying, you know, you're welcome back. And typically that's when the credits roll, right? Good movie. That was so precious. Some of you cried. Great chick flick. This is awesome. But Jesus keeps telling the story. 
He doesn't say, all right, thanks for coming, everybody. You can go home now. Just wanted to tell you a story about unconditional love, how a son who didn't deserve love got love, got hugs and kisses, and it was awesome. No, Jesus keeps telling the story, and you and I get more and more filters to apply to life. It's not only unconditional love. It's not just about embracing people. Watch how he tells this. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on them. Now you're like, okay, that sounds nice, right? That sounds like a good idea. You understand what he's happening. Bring the best robe. You know who owned the best robe? Dad. It's his. It's his favorite one. It's the best one. And he says, hey, go get my robe, the robe that would signify what family he will be in, the robe that other people know about, this robe. Come on, some of us grew up in South Dakota, right? You remember, you can tell someone by their hat, this is what's going on. Bring the best robe and put it on. Like, oh, I know who that is. And he said, get my robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger. I won't sing Beyonce for you, but you got it. Put a ring on his finger. You're like, ring, that sounds interesting. A ring would have had the symbol of the family on it. I hope you're catching that. In other words, he's like, hey, give him the rights and privileges of speaking on behalf of our family. See, some of you are starting to go like, I wouldn't have done that. The rational thinking is that you wouldn't do that. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. In other words, it believe, we believe that the son was, literally had no shoes, was in danger. Put sandals on his feet, and if you don't understand the symbolism there, in other words, let's give him shoes and he can run away again if he wants to. It's irrational. Let's have a feast. And so, oh, we, don't, we can't miss this. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Sorry, vegetarians. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Here's what I hope you'll connect here. You saw unconditional love, welcome back hugs, but do you understand that Jesus just taught us something so profound? He's saying that you don't just say you love someone, you sacrifice on their behalf. It's very profound if you'll press it in. So let me tell you a little bit of a story. I think this will relate. You have to follow though, so I hope you follow along well. The idea of a relationship requiring sacrifice. I don't know, are any of you baseball fans? This will help. This, if any of you like baseball. Okay, three of you, sweet. This will be fun. I like baseball. I like baseball more when my team is good. Is that fair? I think a lot of us like sports when our teams are good. Well, this past year, the Kansas City Royals, who are in Major League Baseball, they won the World Series. If you don't know sports, your World Series, David, you're saying stuff, I don't even get it. Uh, here's what happened. It's the ultimate series. Whoever wins the World Series becomes the world champions. They get rings. They are the champions. Everyone of us understands in sports, if you win it all, that's important, okay? And so they won it all. They won the best thing you can win in baseball, Kansas City Royals. They were in game five. They play multiple games. Game five against the Mets. If you're a Mets fan, I'm very glad you're here. The Royals were playing the Mets. It was game five. And if the Royals win this game, they win the whole series. They become World Series champions. Here's what happens is the Royals were losing. And it was in the ninth inning, the last inning. It seemed over. It seemed like it was done. We had a runner on third base. Uh, the batter hit the ball, and it was not a great hit. They got him out at first. The problem was the guy on third, my, one of my favorite players, is on third. He's supposed to stay on third. If you don't know baseball very well, he's supposed to stay there. As in you stay there and you wait for someone to have a big hit so you can easily run into home. 
He's supposed to stay on third, but what he does is he breaks all of the normal social rules regarding baseball, and they try to get the guy out at first. They throw it to first, and the guy on third runs home. Not literally for those of you who aren't baseball fans. you got to run to that home plate in order to score. He does something, some would say, stupid. Definitely we would call it irrational. Now some of you are like, you've totally lost me, David. I I wish you had like a video clip of it. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you asked. Everything I just described to you for your viewing pleasure. Give your attention to the screen. Runner at third, one out. Broken back. Now, I've been waiting months to figure out how to put the Kansas City Royals into a sermon. <laughs> and, if, and if you're smart, which you're Fountain Springers, I think you're smart, you should be completely lost right now wondering, have I lost it? I was all of a sudden talking about the Bible for a while, and we're talking about a dad welcomes back a son and then gives him a bunch of stuff, and that's amazing, and all of a sudden we're watching baseball clips. Well, see, that, that clip and, and the Kansas City Royals are probably not greatly significant to you, but as a, as a young boy, I used to go to Royals games. Grew up watching the Royals. It was one of those hobbies that I, I look back, like literally going to the Royals all the time was considered a hobby because, well, we just called it that. It made us feel better about it. But we would go watch and we'd watch them lose, 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 lose all the time. And then all of a sudden, my Royals are in the World Series. They're about to maybe win it. And so that links to why I wanted to tell you the story. You see, this coming Tuesday is Katie and I's 13th wedding anniversary. Now listen to this. We exchange gifts for anniversaries, and so my gift came early. And if you know anything about Katie, when she gets a gift and she's ready to give it to you, it's coming to you. It doesn't matter if it's time to give it to you, but it's coming to you, okay? She doesn't like to keep those kinds of secrets. And so it came into the mail, and she was like, hey, this is for you. Will you open it? I'm like, well, it's not time. She's like, it doesn't really matter. So I, I opened it. And what my wife got me for anniversary this year is a World Series jersey of the guy that stole third base with his signature on it. Now, I guarantee you I'm not losing this. (laughs) And I guarantee you that the real thoughts that flowed in my head when she gave it to me was like, oh no, my gift sucks. I don't know what to... (laughs) So I quickly lined up the babysitter and and we're going to have a great time this Tuesday. And so, so I'm just... I'm leveraging my favorite team to help us understand something important. Love is not sustainable without sacrifice. See, as a family, we budget our money. Every penny to us is important. We tell our money where to go. 
And so what we've done is we budgeted, and my wife and I each have our own allowance. Yes, we're still 10-year-olds, but we still have an allowance to make sure. And so, so here's what my wife has been doing, unbeknownst to me, was saving her allowance, not spending it on maybe a purse or whatever girls buy, and, and saving it. And then all of a sudden, I've got this gift that I know she went to great effort to get. Now, now, so I'm not that dry, and, and this, listen, listen, this isn't, my marriage doesn't get better because I have a signed jersey, okay? That's not the point of this. My marriage gets better when sacrifice happens. And I would contend that every relationship gets better when sacrifice happens. When someone gives something up on behalf of another person, that relationship goes to a different level. Frankly, my wife could just give me a hug and say, I've been so happy to be married to you for 10 of the 13 years. And I've been like, you know what? Thank you very much. I love you. No, that that would have been enough. I, I promise you that would have been enough. But when my wife sacrifices, things change. When I sacrifice for her, things change. I'm telling you, the power of sacrifice in a relationship is necessary. I'm not talking about amounts. I'm talking about the level of sacrifice. And in fact, God knew this. This is not shock God or catch him off guard. He was not going, oh, I've observed something interesting about humans. They, they seem to value sacrifice. So he knew when he made us that sacrifice was necessary for every relationship. That's why we as a church talk about our goal, our agenda, our mission is to show people who Jesus is because what we launch with is let us tell you how Jesus sacrificed for you because it communicates a desire for a relationship. Let let me show you the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. We're like, yes, love that, seen that at football games. For God so loved the world. Most of us know this, and we've accidentally memorized it. We've heard it so much. For God so loved the world. We're like, we love that verse, but then we often jump down to the stuff that we get. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life, that, that whole, our home is heaven. That sounds awesome. And we skip perhaps the most vital part. He gave his one and only son. See, a lot of times we come to church, we want to learn something about God. Let me teach you something about God, is he gave to you. And if you're anything like me, a lot of times we'll live life, we'll go through life, whether it's work-related, family-related, relationship-related, and many times our prayer life, our talking to God life is all about, God, I need this, I need you to fix this, I need you to provide this, and, and don't you ever listen to me, God, and provide this. And we get kind of in this, well, just poor me mode. You need to know I will teach you something now about God. He gave to you and does not have to continue giving to you because it was more than enough. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is so proud. If you press it, for God so loved the world, emotion, that he gave action. Link up this with the story Jesus is telling. This, this, here's how to see life. You got this father who welcomes back this son. It's epic. It's awesome. He says, I love you. This embrace. It's awesome. But then he's already set the groundwork. Our Savior dying for us. To boil this into maybe a point if you need a point. God's love for us compelled him to sacrifice for us. This is where we discover another filter of ours called irrational generosity. This is not a ploy, for those of you who are new to church, this is not a ploy to get people's money. We are trying to live life the way God did. And yeah, unconditional love, anyone and everyone should be welcome in church, yes, 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 yes. But that unconditional love 
should be proven and walked out with irrational generosity. And this is why people begin to separate at this conversation. We love the love, but the action is so difficult. I understand that. I'm not trying to avoid that. But I want to walk you through us as a church. If, you'll just, if you're interested in facts and figures, if you're interested, okay, I want to know what this church is actually doing. Some of you are sacrificing so much financially with your time and your abilities. You know, let, me, let me tell you some things. I'm going to have to guard you because some of you, you're, you're clappers, so you're going to be like, hey, but just, just hold it, hold it, and we'll get to some good points, okay? But, but I'm just going to tell you this year. Let's talk about this year. I'm not talking about the past. I'm talking about this year. Uh, this year, as a church, irrationally, we, we believe we're on pace right now to fix 300 cars for families who, who, who need fixed cars. Uh, those of you who have read any articles about the school district, we don't have time to talk about the school district, but I'm just going to tell you, the school district is, well, they need some money. And they've been siphoning some, some money from some buildings to help pay people that need to be paid. And, and so we as a church, you need to know this, are involved in, in 40 area schools, 40 regional schools, where we go to them and say, what do you need? We'll pay for it. We'll get the labor for it. We'll do it for you. And we as a church, all year long, are constantly in schools. In fact, whenever you do parent-teacher conferences, oftentimes, if allowed, those teachers get snacks and food during the breaks from us as a church. We are trying to be irrationally generous, high, highly involved. In fact, in fact, how about this? Those of you know this, that we send teens to camp during the summer to give parents a break. Or, no, sorry, so that they know who Jesus is. And so we send teens off to camp. This year, our goal, just to be, this is irrational. We're, our hope is to send 280 teenagers and volunteers to camp. That will be several buses that will require over $20,000 of scholarship money. I believe we as a church are going to fund that so that no teenager has to be turned away because they can't afford camp. By the end of the year, we hope to be showing over 700 kids who Jesus is every weekend. We hope that during on Wednesdays, that we hope to be showing over 350 teenagers who Jesus is. All of that is rooted in generosity. People giving up so much time, so much money, but investing and saying, we've got to help people know who Jesus is in the school system and frankly, everywhere. You, some of you have been accidentally generous. You, you don't know that you were, which I don't know if that means it's generosity. But uh, let me tell you something. If you've ever purchased a coffee drink from the coffee shop in 2016, you accidentally provided a meal for some folks in the Philippines. Good job. <laughs> now you can clap. Yeah. See, some folks came in, they were skeptical, like, where's that money going? They're selling that coffee stuff. Well, here's what we're doing with it. There is, is a church right outside of a city dump in the Philippines, and that church is providing a meal to whoever needs it once a day to whoever needs it. And you and I, we are paying for that through lattes. You as a church, we as a church are generous, but do not miss the fact that we are right now a part of, I think, the most monumental act of generosity that we have ever taken upon ourselves. In fact, that's not even fair to say, that God has put upon us. If you don't know this, I've told you that, that we have a location at the Rapid City Minimum Unit. 
We invested $30,000 in all the necessary equipment and trailer, all that stuff. They had to do all of that. That got put in there. We didn't raise money for it. That's through you and I investing in this. We did that. And, and, and we've got West location here where, where I'm at and you and I are at. But listen, listen, we're launching an East location, like I told you, on the East side of Rapid City. That's how we came up with the, with the name of it. Uh, and so it's the East side. It's across from the fairgrounds. And many of you stepped up. Like many of you knew who I, you know what I'm talking about. We were part of a series called Step Up, and, and you said, I'm going to invest my time and talent and treasures in this. And, and the weekend after Easter, we hope and plan, and it's on the agenda to launch the East location. Let me show you some pictures of this, just in case you haven't seen it or driven by or been nosy about it. Here's the south exterior of the building. By the way, I'm always showing you outdated pictures because it changes that much that fast. Just drive by it, but this is the outside. We, we have already put windows in there for those of you who are scared about that, so don't worry about it. But let's say you go into the building to the lobby area. You see it looks great. It's not second rate. It's not like, oh yeah, I know what we're doing. No, we want to make East Side Rapid beautiful. And so we as a church have decided to invest in that side. So there's a kid's space, if you didn't know this. Like, this is the elementary space, and we put carpet squares in there because that's smarter where kids are because <clears throat> they make stains. And so we can fix that and clear that up nicely. But it's a big, giant room, and there's a preschool space and a nursery space. I'll show you the auditorium. Auditorium looks amazing. There's a stage area, and, and all there'll be seats there for those. Like, are we going to sit on carpet squares? No, we will have chairs there. Don't worry about that. And you know, I often talk to you about next steps. There's even going to be a next steps room, not a corner, a room. You're not as impressed. <laughs> it looks amazing. It looks absolutely amazing. See, some of you are like, just I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Are you going to have coffee? Yes, we will have coffee at the East location. And, and it's going to look absolutely amazing. And, and it, you should drive by. The sign is up now. It looks absolutely beautiful. We not only wanted to put a location on the East side, we wanted it to be beautiful that would make the community proud of it. Now, some of you, though, you're, you're processing like East location. So does that mean I have to leave Fountain Springs Church? Is that how this works? No. We are going to leverage technology there are churches globally who are doing this, but not a lot in the Black Hills region. And so what we're going to do is, is I will still preach at the East location through the miracle of technology. So, so here's, here's an example of a church in Arizona. You got the preacher preaching on stage and the side screens. You just need to know that preacher's not there. You look at this and be like, yeah, he is. And you're going to argue with me in your mind. No, he's not. He's not there. It's a video screen. So the East location will have all the live music and incredible kids ministry and coffee shop and student ministry and everything. But the teaching, we want to believe, we believe in one church, multiple locations. We all want to go through the same teaching. And so we will leverage technology over on the East side and make sure that we're all on the same page. It is one of the riskiest things we've ever done, if not the riskiest thing we've ever done as a church. Some of you have already been pressing, and you're like, I'm going, to, I'm going to the east side. I'm going to the east side. Some of you, that's what you're going to do. You're going to delayed response, late adopter. It's totally fine. But I want to ask you something. I told you that, that God's love for you compelled him to give to you to sacrifice. What is your love for God compelled you to do for him? I think it's a fair question. I don't think it's an offensive question. I think it's a fair one. And in fact, if you would say, if you're offended by the conversation, then that means that you're, you're, you're actually mooching off of God's love. 
See, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. I think in a good, healthy relationship, you and I should be asking questions, well, what are we doing for God? And the east location is risky. But it's not about quantity. If you're offended by that, no, no, no. Generosity is not about quantity. Generosity is about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. The, the church, the, as in the capital C church, long-term, long-time-ago church, uh, knew all about sacrifice. Let me show you 2 Corinthians, just an example of a church. This is not our church. This is just an example of a church. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, what they do with their poverty? Welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able You catch that? As much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Welcome to the irrational part. And so for many of us, I'm going to press into your life. Have you been taking what you say about love and putting action to it? And I would tell you, don't let generosity be a seasonal event. Make it a lifestyle. Don't just rely on Thanksgiving and Christmas to come around and be like, I'm going to start being super nice to people. I'm going to start doing this. No, 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 no. Jesus said that he loves us with all that he is. And in fact, he said that he loved us and loved us as sinners, loved us in our mess, loved us in our mire, loved us in our just stupid choices before we even made the stupid choices. The best way I can example this, and this might be weird to some of you, my intentions are not to be weird, but if you've ever moved, have you ever moved before anyone? You ever moved? Like you went from one house to another, apartment to a house, or a house to an apartment. If you've ever had someone help you move, that's weird. I mean, I know if you just process this, that means that someone comes over to your house or your apartment. They start picking up your boxes, your stuff, your mattress, your mattress. They start carrying your stuff and, and smelling your stuff and you're, like, you're going through all your place and you're seeing how dirty or clean that your place actually is and they're invading you and then they get those boxes, put them on a truck and then help you move maybe across town and, and then you get there and they start taking those boxes, your boxes, and they start taking it down your hallway in your house down to your bedroom. Yeah, see some of you are like, I never thought of it that way and now it's totally messed with me. But if you ever thought about it, that when someone helps you move, it's pretty personal. You find people that maybe you don't know well or know well, and they're all of a sudden like in, in your house. When we moved here, oh, when we moved here, we didn't know anybody. So we show up with a moving truck, you know, classic budget truck, roll it up to the house, and, and, and people come from Fountain Springs and we didn't know, and they start carrying boxes. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm kind of a private person, and like, okay. And they're like, where do we go? Like, we take it to that, my bedroom. Okay, this is weird, but okay. And, and you begin to see something profound because if you've ever moved someone, there's not a single person be like, you know what I love to do with my time off? I'd like to go help someone move. Anyone, anyone want? In fact, someone went, friends say, hey, we're moving. You're like, oh, I'm out of town. I didn't tell you when it was. I'm out of town. <laughs> I'm just out of town whenever you say it is. <laughs> Moving's not fun. And it's especially not fun when it's not your stuff. What if we as a church were to see life differently Rather than constantly questioning, why am I here? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What's our family for? I I don't like myself. What if you and I were to see life and say, what if I woke up today and say, I'm not only going to love people, but I'm going to be generous. What if you and I were, were a moving kind of a church? 
Where you say, you know what, I know this isn't my life, and, and I know this person, I don't know them all that well, but I'm going to care for them because they need someone to care for them, even more importantly, so that they might know who Jesus is. What if you and I were to be kind of a box-carrying kind of church? Where you and I were saying, you know, we're going to be generous. I mean, you're like, I want to do something different with them. I want, to just, I want to go watch TV or I want to go hike in the hills. But this person, they need my help. I'm going to serve a meal at Cornerstone Rescue Mission. I'm going, to, I'm going to invest in the lives of kids, even though kids scare me. I'm going to help them know who Jesus is. And teenagers, I'll, I'll do that. And it might terrify you and you might smell things you've never smelled before. And, and, and it might be weird for some of us. You lead a group and you're going to serve, you're going to lead a group, not because you really want to lead a group, but because you know a group is necessary for people to know who Jesus is. See, I'm telling you, we have people holding doors open and parking cars when it's 70 degrees outside and when it's negative 20 degrees outside. I guarantee you've asked them which one they enjoyed more, they'd tell you. But we as a church do not believe that words are enough. They're not enough. You may want them to be enough, but they're not enough. A relationship requires sacrifice. And I would tell you, Rapid City in the Black Hills region needs a group of people willing to sacrifice so they might know who Jesus is. So we as a church are committed to it. If this conversation has been offensive to you and you think I want your money, you need to know that whether you stay or go, we will be generous to our community. We will engage the needs of our community. We will be involved in the school system. We will be involved even globally in the Philippines and in Africa. We will invest in fixing cars and providing meals for people in our region. We will not stop because people matter. Anyone and everyone matters. What has your love for God compelled you to do for God?